All right. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. This is session number 13 of the Mythgard Academy's Treatment of the Mordarthur by Sir Thomas Mallory uh, as we continue to plow our way uh, very swiftly through this book. So, uh, welcome. I am uh, pretty excited uh, to get to the tale of Sir Gareth tonight because uh, this has always been one of my favorite stories. Um, that uh, you know, it's hard to top the book of Sir Lancelot, which we just finished. Um, but uh, but but Sir Gareth is uh, certainly certainly a fun story. Uh, see, so yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad to see a, a bunch of you guys really really like this guy. Good, Karita and Yana both really approve. Uh, yeah, no, very good. Um, yeah, I mean, he's isn't he adorable? I mean, he's so cute. I just love him. Um, uh, anyway, so. Uh, so yeah, so that was uh, great, and of course I spent this past weekend uh, out in Kansas City uh, doing Middle Moot, which was fantastic. Um, I brought home uh, for myself one of my new Mythgard shirts. You see, these are really these are really nifty, uh, which you can get at your local regional moot. Which reminds me that speaking of local regional moots uh, that are happening soon. Uh, we're only now two and a half weeks away from L.A. Moot. Uh, so for those of you who are in the Southern California area, do you have no excuse? Okay, maybe you have an excuse, but it's probably not good enough. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but definitely, uh, definitely, if you can possibly make it, uh, Saturday the 27th of October is going to be L.A. Moot. Um, we had a, a little bit of an, a, an uncertain time, but now we have a new venue and uh, we are uh, full steam ahead again. Uh, so I hope you'll be able to join us. Uh, the new venue is near. LAX, uh, so do look at the website, both the Signum Events page and the LAMoot.org website. Either, either one of them has it. Um, and you can uh, register for uh, for uh, uh, for LA Moot. So yeah, definitely uh, excited. I know we've got a lot of people in Southern California. So for those of you, those of you who are here live, for those of you who are um, listening asynchronously, I hope you'll be able to join us October 27th, Saturday, October 27th, uh, 2018. I guess I should mention the year for the sake of the uh, the asynchronous folks. Um, though if you're listening to this in a future year, there's probably still an LA Moot that you can attend. Uh, so we've got uh, uh, cool plans for the future of LA Moot, uh, which we'll be talking about at this LA Moot. You can be part of the shaping process to sort of determine the direction that LA Mood is going to grow. It's going to be really neat. So anyway, totally come. Um, and uh, uh, and then also, of course, very soon after that, only two weeks later, um, we uh, uh, we have uh, uh, Magnolia Moot down in the southeast. So we've got in, in, uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're anywhere in driving distance of Charlotte, hope you'll be able to make it out to Magnolia Moot. Um, that too, again, you can sign up for. Go to signumuniversity.org. Uh, scroll down just a little bit and you'll see the event page for Magnolia Moot. Uh, so you can register there. Um, both of them uh, are going uh, to be really great. I've been having so much fun with all of our regional moots. Um, so... Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, um, just uh, just just wanted to make sure to plug those because the time is the time is coming and soon shall be when uh, uh, when those moots too shall come to pass. We are uh, uh, in the middle of uh, the heavy fall moot season here at Signum, uh, so I'm I'm uh, looking forward to kind of popping around the country here. I'm gonna I'm gonna be at all of them. I look forward to meeting people there, uh, and uh, it's gonna be a lot of fun. So. Um, Anyway, cool. Uh, so, um, let's see. What? Oh, oh, yeah. The other thing I was going to say. 
So uh, remember also another event that's coming up, uh, which everyone can attend and is coming up even sooner, is this coming Saturday. So this is our last week of our fundraising campaign. It's our third and final week. Um, We've been doing great. We're we're going on now almost to uh, uh, $49,000 raised so far, which is wonderful. We're uh, we're starting to get close to our uh, our budgetary goal of $60,000, which will help us to cover our expenses for the year. Um, So that's really, really great. Um, Many, many thanks to those of you who have already donated. And there's still time for those of you who haven't. Uh, Again, both synchronous and asynchronous listeners. Um, And I wanted to remind you that, of course, we're still doing the drawing, right? So for those of you who have donated um, or who donate now and and want to to get yourself entered in our donor drawing, um, where we're going to be giving out several awesome prizes, uh, including several anytime audit seats, so you can get full access to any of our uh, Signum courses of your choosing, Um, we're going to be giving those out at Saturday's webathon, um, and uh, but so just send an email to donate at signumu.org. You can see that down here at the bottom right hand side of your screen, and uh, you will. And just if you've made a donation, just mention the Mythgard Academy, and we will enter you into, into the Mythgard Academy drawing on Saturday. But importantly, um, the uh, uh, the big event is Saturday. So having mentioned that, I should tell you a little bit more about it because it's going to be really cool. So the Webathon, Webathon is a big event every year. I always look forward to that. This is our sixth annual Webathon uh, that we have done. Uh, it's a really cool event where we do lots of, you know, we do lots of different segments, uh, teaching segments and discussions and trivia contests and uh, and gaming and all kinds of things. So, uh, you know, we do like different segments kind of spotlighting different uh, parts of what we do here uh, at Mythgarden. Signum. Um, and uh, there's going to be several very special sessions here too. So uh, so just uh, so it, everything starts at noon on Saturday, October 13th, this coming Saturday, and it's going to end at midnight-ish or so, right? I, I, we'll see. Uh, the final segment is going to be, I'm going to be streaming... Um, uh, Lotro, and I'm going to be, for those of you who know the game, I'm going to be taking my Guardian Wigand through the epic battle at Pelargir. I'm going to be fighting alongside Aragorn and the uh, the, uh, the the armies of the dead uh, against the Corsairs at Pelargir. So, uh, uh, I'm not quite sure how that's gonna how that's how long that's gonna take, <laughs> but anyway, I'm gonna I'm 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 gonna do that. That's why I'm doing it last, just in case you know I I run into uh, any you know, hitches along the way, such as like, I mean, who knows? Uh, there are probably fishmongers in Pilar gear as well. So, uh, anyway, so that's going to be a lot of fun, but we're going to do lots of other segments as well. I'm going to be doing, uh, I'm going to be doing a, a Tolkien teaching session, and I'm also going to be doing another, uh, session where I'm going to be looking at, uh, at Dr. Who. So the, you may remember in previous years, I have done, uh, sort of one-shot sessions, which kind of tend to sort of follow the like the thing I've been doing lately, right? You know, as I you know continue to kind of catch up on uh, things that I'm behind on, right? So you'll remember a few years back, I did a one-shot um, of my uh, my favorite uh, uh, of the new Doctor Who episodes, and that was when I was just first watching the new Doctor Who, and I'd never seen any of it before. Last year, you'll remember I did a, I did a, a Star Trek show where we looked at a couple episodes of Star Trek. Um, one of the classic and one of the, uh, uh, one of the next generation, uh, cause I was doing my big Star Trek catch up last year or I had just finished that. Uh, now 
this year, what I am in the middle of doing, my, my sort of project uh, for 2018, is I'm going back and watching the classic Doctor Who. I've never seen the classic Doctor Who before, so I decided decided I just got BritBox and I started at the beginning. Uh, as you know, everything that they have available, I know it's not all available. Of course, I'm painfully aware that it's not all available, but um, uh, anyway, I'm going. Um, I'm going through uh, the classic Who. I'm up at like season seven, so I've got like the first three Doctors now uh, that I'm, uh, and I've been absolutely fascinated to see how the mythology is uh, uh, is growing. Uh, I would never have guessed that it is growing, sort of in the manner that it uh, that I'm seeing it grow as I'm watching through the first you know seven seasons so far. Uh, so I'm going to do a session on classic Doctor Who. We'll do some comparison and contrast. I'm going to be joined uh, by Kat Sass, one of our Signum alumni and one of our resident Doctor Who experts. Um, and uh, anyway, I'm... Uh, uh, yeah, exactly, Arthur. Back in the days when a sonic screwdriver... I, I, I actually laughed, Arthur, when I saw him, like unscrew a screw and screw it back in with his sonic screwdriver i was like wow look at that anyway uh <laughs> so uh that was fun um anyway so that's gonna be uh i'm really looking forward to that session we're gonna i'm gonna be talking with uh by the way of per- perhaps special interest uh to the uh, people here you may remember that uh, earlier this year, uh, Serena Higgins, our department chair of the uh, the Department of Language and Literature at Signum University, uh, she released her book, um, uh, her, her wonderful book, uh, The Inklings and King Arthur. We've been kind of celebrating that on and off all year. It won the Mythopoeic Award for scholarship, beating out both, uh, beating out Christopher Tolkien for crying out loud. It beat Baron and Luthien in that category. Unbelievable. Anyway, um, really, really awesome stuff. And... Um, and we're gonna, um, uh, we're gonna. So anyway, I'm I'm gonna sit down with with Serena, and we're gonna talk about. Um, not only we're we gonna talk some about our graduate program, but we're also gonna discuss Mallory and the Inklings, right? We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna think specifically. You know, she, again, she's done a lot of work on uh, the relation, the sort of the Arthurian. I won't quite say fixation, but interest, certainly, among all of the Inklings. Um, and we're gonna think in particular about their relationship with Mallory, as we've been thinking a lot about Maori. Um, so that'll be really cool. And we're going to do, and you know, all day long, we're going to do special giveaways and contests. We're going to do our drawings for our asynchronous donor drawings. We're going to be doing other giveaways throughout the day. We're going to give extra prizes. We're going to have trivia competitions. There's going to be like three different trivia competitions over the course of the day um, with prizes, of course. Um, and uh, it's going to be, it's going to be great. And in addition, of course, uh, amongst all this uh, fun, we're going to have a, a sort of a serious business meeting too, but it'll also be fun. That is, I'm going to have the State of the University address where I'm going to explain what's going on at Signum. I'll show, I'll, I'll, I'll show you. A lot of people have been having questions about, okay, where do things stand right now as far as credentialing and accreditation and all those things. And I'll, 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 I, will, I will explain all where we are and where we're going. And in addition, we're going to do an extra session because we are... A sort of an extra sort of subset, in a sense, of the State of the University Address, because we're doing some really fun expansion of the Mythgard programs this year. Uh, I am really excited to see Mythgard expand and to do more this year than we've ever been able to do before. Uh, so uh, I'm, we're going to have a session uh, just sort of 
explaining about that and, uh, you know, what we're going to do and how that's going to work and, and all that kind of thing. So I hope you'll be able to join me for all these things. Yes. Uh, for those of you who are asking if you can't, you know, make any of them, if you, if, if you, if for some reason you can't attend all 12 hours on end, uh, then the recordings of these will all be put on YouTube. So you will be able to see them. They won't all necessarily be on Ruiz on podcast streams. Um, but is there no one single podcast stream that we run that will fit all of the varied events that we're going to be doing that day? But some of them certainly will be. Um, anyhow, so, uh, uh, so yeah, that's, um, yeah, yeah. Brianna, exactly. Brianna, you're uh, the, the, the scene with the second doctor unscrewing a screw when he unscrews the screw in the, in the guy's gun, right? That's exactly the scene I was thinking of, uh, uh, Brianna and Robert. I did begin with an unearthly child. I did. I watched everything that was available in the first doctor. Uh, so, um, I'm, uh, I'm happy. And David, I'm not up to the eighth doctor yet. The eighth doctor is still a mystery to me. In fact, quite a profound mystery actually, but I'll get there eventually. Um, and, uh, and, uh, we'll see, uh, we'll see where we get, um, uh, we'll see where we get. Anyway, so yeah, and I know the, the fourth Doctor, I know, is everybody's favorite, and I'm really looking forward to getting to him. Um, but I'm not there yet. <clears throat> but like I said, my 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 real interest, you know, even more than kind of watching the development of the character and how he's been portrayed, is uh, uh, is as I say, the kind of growth of the mythology that I, I have been finding absolutely fascinating. But anyway, more on that on Saturday. Um, I don't want to get too too distracted, as would be easy to do. Um, but um, okay, all right. Um, so let's uh, uh, let's. Uh, Let's go. Oh, okay. No. Oh, that's right. The other thing I know, I know there was one other thing I wanted to say. And that is, of course, this is our third and final class that is happening during the fundraising campaign. So I want to do again tonight what we've done for the last two weeks one more time uh, during our fundraising campaign just to, to, to thank you guys who have donated and to celebrate you guys being here. We're going to do another uh, two drawings like we've done. So we'll do one drawing. Uh, uh, one prize drawing among everybody who donates during class tonight, and then we'll do another drawing among everybody who's attending on class tonight at all the different venues tonight. We're, you know, so we've got GoToWebinar and Twitch. Um, so anyway, I'll do. We'll do. I'll do drawings uh, on everybody, and uh, we'll give away a uh, uh, same as uh, last time. Um, you can choose either uh, one of the books that we're giving away here with a custom book plate uh, signed by me, or you can choose, as I said last week, a pair of free tickets to the regional moot of your choice. So uh, that will be uh, uh, that will be pretty cool. And we do have uh, some new moots coming up, which I will be telling you about on Saturday, uh, some exciting, uh, uh, information about some new moot opportunities that are going to be coming up in 2019, uh, including two of which, uh, which are going to be outside of America. So anyway, uh, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be cool. So, all right, that's the plan. So we'll do that at the end of class. Uh, so stick around to the end of class and we'll do the drawings then. Um, and again, don't forget, uh, so the donation uh, uh, link, of course, is down here at the bottom of my page, signumuniversity.org slash donate to make a donation to support Signum University and help us continue to do all the things that we're doing and even more than we've been doing um, because that's what we are looking forward to and hoping to do. So, and again, as always, thanks very much to everybody um, 
who has uh, who has already donated. All right, let us get back to um, let us get back to Mallory. Then, as you saw, the title of tonight's session is "Approved Night," uh, as that seems to me um, the real kind of running theme especially of this first half of the story of Sir Gareth, whom, of course, we're not going to call Sir Gareth uh, for most of the class tonight. We're still going to be calling him Bo Minas, um, uh, 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 Fair Hands or Pretty Hands. Uh, there he is. <laughs> Talk about embarrassing nicknames. Um, but uh, you'll know, I mean, I, I am sure that you will notice uh, that you will have noticed, I should say, all of the proving, all the testing that happens, right? It seems like everybody is like testing everybody else at various points and in various ways uh, over the course of uh, of of today's reading. And so, one of the things that I wanted to kind of draw attention to before we even began is remember that I think that this is coming to us now for a good reason, right? Remember, we've just had Lancelot. Um, you know, the book of Sir Lancelot sort of establishes the sort of new baseline. We've had that traditional stuff. We've had Arthur and the Sword and the Stone and him establishing his kingship. And we've had, you know, the, the stuff with Merlin and, and the uh, shenanigans at the, you know, with uh, uh, Queen Morgaz, you know, and the beginning of, uh, of, of Mordred. And we've had the Morgan Le Fay business and all those things, right? Um, we've had the establishment of Sir Gawain as a very competent, um, very famous, um, very privileged in the sense of being close kin to Arthur himself, but also uh, deeply morally flawed knight. Um, we've uh, seen the establishment of the round table. So, you know, we got all the kind of background there, right? Then we went to Rome, right? Conquered Rome, and, and that was kind of fun. And then we came back, and now we have Sir Lancelot established as the paragon of knighthood, or even really sort of the paragon of the new knighthood, right? Um, this kind of, which is, as we saw in Lancelot, especially as regards romantic entanglements, um, a, a, a sort of a departure from the traditional knighthood, from the traditional values of knighthood that everybody else seems to accept and go along with, right? So the tale of Sir Gareth here, um, the book of Sir Gareth, is the first thing that we get in that context, right? We have this, the establishment of this new knight. So, you know, Sir, it's not that like necessarily Sir Gareth is the first knight ever to come to knighthood after Sir Lancelot establishes himself. It's not insisting on that kind of a chronology, but it is sort of presenting us Sir Gareth in this way, right? Sir Gareth is coming in as a young knight, uh, clearly putting himself under Sir Lancelot, as we'll see, he uh, uh, requests... I won't say insists exactly, but kind of insists uh, on being made a knight by Lancelot, right? So one of the things that I think that we can see just kind of to point to an overall, an overarching theme here at the beginning um, is him sort of walking in Lancelot's footsteps and proving himself uh, uh, in this new model uh, of knighthood that the this higher level, this sort of higher uh, um, um, goal for knighthood, um, more perfect model of knighthood, is not just for Sir Lancelot, right? It's not just about him. Um, There are others that might seek to follow it as well. Of course, not everyone will, especially the old guard, but nevertheless, it can be done. So, 
All right. So uh, I think we got a reference to it before, but of course, uh, Sir Gareth comes in and, and twice he is the king's marvel, right? The king, when he holds his feast on Whitsuntide, uh, he has uh, uh, he, he can't go to meet until he sees a marvel, right? <laughs> I've occasionally made this joke at Thanksgiving dinner, but no one ever seemed receptive to it. Um, you know, that we should wait for a marvel to occur before we go to meet. Uh, but anyway, um, I, I'm sure somebody made that joke uh, last year at, at uh, Mythmoot. Um, but anyhow, um, so we have... Uh, he won't go to meet at his. Um, um, uh, he he won't go to meet at, at, at the Whitsuntide feast until some marvel happens. So they see this knight coming in uh, from a distance, and they're like, "Okay, it's all right to go to meet because a marvel has arrived, right?" And so here is the marvel. Rikso come into the hall, tall men well besign and richly, and upon their shoulders there leaned the goodliest young man and the firest that ever they all saw. And he was large and long and broad in the shoulders and well visaged, and the largest and the fairest handes that ever man that ever my see. But he farred as he meek not go, nor bear himself but if he leaned upon their shoulders. Anon as the king saw him, there was mad peace and room, and reached so as they yode with him into the high dais, without saying of other of any wardes. Then this young much man pulled him aback, and easily st- and easily stretched straight upright, saying, "Most noble king, King Arthur, God you bless, and all your fire fellowship, and in especial the fellowship of the table round. And for this cows I come hither, to pray you and require you to give me three giftes, and they shall not be unreasonably asked, but that ye may you may worshipfully grant him me, and to you no great hurt, nor loss. And the first don and gift I will ask now, and the t'other two giftes I will ask this die twelve months. Wheresomever ye hold your high feast. Now ask ye, sighed King Arthur, and ye shall have your asking. All right. Uh, what do you notice? What do you notice here? So, okay. The, his hands. Let's talk about his hands here for a second. All right, okay. So... Notice his description is kind of uh, impressive, right? He's not armed, right? So he, he's, he's not wearing armor. So you'll notice that the description, it's a little bit unusual. We don't get much physical description of what people look like, right? Of people's bodies, that is. Um, unless they're like giants or something like that. Um, but uh, in this case, we do. And principally because he's not wearing armor, right? So we can't... Remember, one of the things that, you know, armor and heraldry is for is to enable us to, like, understand somebody, right? To be able to read something before, um, you know, without knowing who it is, right? That's why, of course, if you're in somebody else's armor or you're in unknown armor, you're, like, utterly anonymous and nobody can possibly recognize you, right? Um, So it's not really about... um, like seeing people's bodies, people's bodies are usually concealed. You know, knights' bodies are usually concealed in armor. Uh, so, but here it's his physical person; it's his body that's being described. Um, and he is, um, 
uh, let's see, what is he? He is the he is large and long and broad in the shoulders and well visaged, right? He's got a he he's he's well faced, right? He's got a good face and the largest and the fiercest hand is that ever my see ya. He's got the biggest and the prettiest hands that you will ever see. I mean, ever. You will never see anybody with nicer hands than this guy. Um, and uh, I love the uh, the sort of synopsis at the at the end, right? This young much man. He's a much man. He's just there's just much of him. He's huge, right? This guy's enormous. Um, uh, not stout, right? He's not like a barrel. He's he's uh, you know, this guy is a, a very athletic frame, right? Um, large and long and broad in the shoulders, right? With not only fair hands, but huge hands, right? Um, so, what do we make of this? How do we understand this? So, first of all, again, they're trying to figure out this guy. Right. Who is he? Was he from? Now, remember the experience with Sir Tor and the cowherd, right? His like foster father um, and Sir Tor's other foster brothers, right? Who were the legitimate sons of the cowherd, right? And how much larger, longer and broader in the shoulders Sir Tor was than either his father or all of his other brothers, right? Um, to some extent, his very frame suggests that he is noble, right? That he and don't forget, please don't forget, because this is so important. Um, to say that he's a gentleman born, right? That or that he comes of noble blood, it's not just a class thing, right? Don't if you think in terms of class, like in the modern sense, like in the Marxist sense, if you're thinking of economic classes, right, you're doing it wrong. That's not what it meant in the Middle Ages. Like, yes, yes, it was. I mean, yeah, of course, it correlated with money, too. But that's not what's important about your class. What's important about your class is your class determines your calling, Right, and if you are a gentleman, if you are gently born, if you are nobly born, if you have noble blood, what does that mean? What does that mean? What's the what? What do the nobles do? You fight exactly. You are a warrior. That's exactly it. You are of the. So it's not about class. It's about your estate. Right. You, you, you are one of the Bellatories. You are one of those who fight. Um, and again, so that's why everyone makes a big deal about this. It's not like, oh, only it's not like a it's not like a club. Right. To which only gentlemen are, are, are invited. Right. I know it might sound like that and it might seem like that. And there are certainly similarities. Right. I'm not I'm not trying to deny that there's like snobbishness going on here or whatever. That, but but. But it's not the. It's about identifying who you are and what you are, right? That's what's at stake with the whole kitchen knava thing that is going to be going on for most of the first half of this story, right? When the damsel says, "No, no, 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 he's not a gentleman. He's a knave, right? He's a villain born." Uh, when Kay is wondering about that, exactly what is at stake here? Again, it's not just an insult. It's not just like, "Oh, you're a peasant, and that makes you, you know, nobody or something." But it's not that. What it ma- he is somebody. Peasants are somebody. They're laborers, right? 
But that means, importantly, they are not knights. They are not warriors. So a kitchen canava, right, who is... Uh, they, he might be strong, um, but if a kitchen knave who is villainously born, that is, who is who is who is low class, um, who is from the, the the third estate, the 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 laboratories, if he tries to fight, he's not gonna do well, right? I mean, it's just it doesn't fit him. It's like a bird, you know, l- like a songbird swimming or a fish trying to fly. That's that's it's not quite as extreme as that, but it's almost as extreme as that. Um, Something that is completely out of its uh, of its sphere. Okay, so again, I'm not trying to ask you to totally. Well, no, actually, I kind of am. I would like you first to really distance yourself from modern thinking about these things. It's this is don't think about the rich and the poor. Don't think about the rich and the poor. Again, is one rich and the other poor? Yeah, it is. But that's not what matters, right? What matters is what estate are they from? Okay, um, so. Uh, um, because if you're not, if you're thinking, if if you're only thinking in modern terms, if you're only thinking about sort of wealth and privilege, uh, you know, versus, uh, you know, like exploitation and, uh, subjugation, I get this is, I'm not saying that those aren't things that you can think about, right? But if that's all you're thinking about, you're not going to get what the what Maori is saying you're not you're you're not going to hear what Maori is saying and you're not going to get what the audience would have gotten out of this right that is what is at stake with Sir Gareth from the beginning right is this dude even a knight um now i i agree uh with uh what several of you have uh have said earlier on that um his hands are a pretty clear signal right um, both the fairness and the largeness of his hands um, do seem to indicate his estate, right? The hands of peasants are rarely beautiful, right? I mean, this is not this does not appear to be somebody who has worked a very great deal with his hands. Um, that seems fair. Um, okay, sorry, I probably shouldn't use that particular word. Uh, that seems like a perfectly just thing to say, right? Um, a, a sort of a safe observation, I think. Um, and that seems to me what kind of underlies co- saying that he has the firest handes that ever might see you. But there's more to fairness, I think, than just, like, nice skin um, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, well-kept nails and things like this. Um, they're also, remember, the largest Hondas that you're ever going to see. And what does that suggest? That suggests, of course, his strength, right? Um, uh, hands are often used, as you've seen, they're often used as, uh, you know, he was a, a full uh, a full great man of his Hondas, right? Um, meaning his feats of arms, right? His, you know, so hands are often used... Uh, sort of synecdotally, right, to refer to a knight's uh, prowess in battle, generally speaking, right, his ability with weapons. Um, so, uh, um, anyway, so yeah, that that he would have uh, the fact that his hands, his 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 whole body suggests that he is in fighting trim, right? That he would be a pretty uh, uh, significant opponent uh, if you faced uh, him in battle. Uh, but his hands, the, and the and the size of his hands, right, really suggests um, really suggests uh, that I think very very significantly. Um, 
So, by the way, another uh, little rule, right? And again, this is all about the estates. Sir Tor, with Sir Tor and with Beaumain is here. We see it with this, the same with both of them. So far as we know, they've neither one of them ever jousted before in their lives, right? Before they come to Arthur's court. Both of them immediately uh, are knighted, put armor on, take up weapons and shield, and they just, like, are immediately proficient, right? Um, you know, it's like they, uh, I, I, you know, I mean, it's like they are instantaneously, uh, uh, you don't need to practice, practice so overrated, right? They do not need to train. Nobody needs to teach them um, to, uh, um, nobody needs to teach them how to use a sword or how to use a lance or how to sit a horse or how to like even move in armor, right? None of those things uh, need to be taught to them. They take to it naturally, right? Because it's in their blood, Right, because they are of the second estate. Uh, again, remember that is what it means to be a nobleman. Uh, that you are a natural warrior, uh, and it, it's just it's like it's like you know falling out of a tree. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Arnold says, "If only it were that easy." I know, right? Um, uh, but it's like even like that knights in Maori um, like develop proficiencies even faster than like RPG characters. Like it's just like, it's, it's just, uh, it's just what happens here now. Um, Robert, that is a wonderful question. Uh, and a question I was just going to get around to Robert asks, why is he helped into the hall? Why does he come in leaning on the shoulders of the two, other men. And remember, he's a foot and a half taller than each of the other two men. So he's large and long and broad, and they're puny. They're not dwarves, but they're not, they're, they're not impressive specimens, right? Um, he's way, he towers over them. Um, so, anyway, what, um, what, but why is he, why is he doing this? But he fought it as he meeked not go, nor bear himself, but if he leaned upon their shoulders. So he went as if he can't even stand up or walk. Right? Why? Why? Yeah, David, there is something uh, in this sort of tableau which almost looks like somebody being dragged home at the end of a bar night, right? Um, we have no reason to think him actually drunk, but I agree it has something like that look to it, doesn't it? Um, is this legit? Is he shamming? Or is he weak in some way? Sarah, it does sound like he's mostly dead, like he's been dragged in from some, I don't know what, like he's not wounded, right? There's no reference to his being wounded. Um, the fact that he has to be practically carried into the hall and then his first request is food. Always, I mean, I remember when I first read this book, my conclusion was like, he must be so hungry that he can like barely stand like this dude isn't, hasn't eaten in like three weeks or something like that. Right. That was my, I'm like, oh, okay, I don't know why, but I, I, maybe that's why. Um, but it, Veronica, you were just thinking the same thing. Yeah. Uh, that's, 
That's, but I question that, Devra, exactly. As Devra points out here, um, when they get him into the high dais, right? So when he's before King Arthur, sitting at feast, then this young Mochman pulled him aback and easily stretched straight upright, saying, the most noble king, King Arthur. So he stands up on his own. He pulls him back and easily stretched straight upright. So he seems to be fine, in fact. Right? So it was an act? Why is it an act? Why is it? What's, what's happening here? How do we understand his approach here? It's a marvel, right? He <laughs> can check that box, all right. Um, how do we understand this? Well, let me... Okay. Is it possible that he's actually changed? As Milthalia is asking, uh, you know, does Arthur inspire him? Does he gather strength when he's before the king? Um, I can't totally rule that out, that maybe he's legitimately weak, but then he sort of rallies, right, when he's before Arthur. That's possible. Um, okay. I was going to do a dangerous thing, but I'm not going to do it. I was going to I was going to do a comparison to a another passage, but it was a passage in a different book entirely. That was what was dangerous about it. So I'm not going to do that. Okay. Let's come at this another way. Notice that if we look carefully at that first paragraph, what we see is what appears to be a deliberate paradox, right? On the one hand, what is emphasized about this young man, right, all the way through, is how powerful he looks, right? His body is very impressive. This guy looks like a Hulk, right? So he is, in appearance, very strong, on the one hand. On the other hand, his posture, his sort of demeanor, right, is extremely weak. So weak that it looks like he can barely stand, and yet that seems at least not totally legitimate, or at least not permanent in any case, right? So we are given a picture of a knight who is both strong, who is strong in his in himself, right? But who is acting weak or even affecting weakness as he approaches King Arthur, right? And so that... Uh, that seems to me that seems to me significant that seems to me to kind of give me something to help me understand why on earth he's doing this right this guy imagine he had just come strutting into the hall right pulled up to his full height you know with his much chest thrust out right uh and uh you know uh, even armed which he could have been Right with uh, his uh, uh, large, fair hands on the hilt of a sword, or something like that. That would have been bold, right? That would have been an approach of strength. He would have been making claims for himself. He would have been demanding 
respect. It would have been almost a challenge, if not of Arthur, of the other knights there, right? It would have been possibly defiance, right? But instead, he chooses weakness, right? I'm going to be dragged as if I can't even walk in front of Arthur, right? Um, Is it because he is genuinely weak? No. I mean... May, perhaps he's in a weakened condition, but again, the more I read this, the less convinced of that I am. I think he's perfectly fine. Um, I think he's instead choosing to get dragged weakly in front of King Arthur, because that fits with what he does next, right? Um, he is setting out not to demand respect for himself, right? In fact, he sets out to undermine any respect he might naturally get. If he were, again, to come striding boldly in, looking all strong and impressive and in charge of things, people might be like, dang, look at that guy, right? You know, this guy's, uh, uh, this guy's really got something, right? Instead, he doesn't. Instead, he comes in looking weak, right? Looking weird, looking pitiable, right? Perhaps. Um, and then he asks for three gifts. On the one hand, I'm not going to tell you in advance what they are. On the other hand, I'm going to promise that they're not going to be unreasonable and they're going to do no great hurt or loss to you. Trust me on this. It's going to be fine. Right. And I'll ask one now and I'll ask two, uh, a year from now. How does that sound? Right. Uh, and King Arthur is like, oh yeah, absolutely. I don't even need you to reassure me that it's going to, I give rash vows all the time. Um, yeah. <laughs> Sarah, that's really interesting. Sarah says it's like Willy Wonka. Yeah, Willy Wonka does the same thing, doesn't he? Yeah, I like that. In fact, Sarah, you know, there's a paper there, Sarah. There is totally a paper comparing and contrasting Willy Wonka and the character of Charlie in Willy Wonka and the, Char- and the Chocolate Factory with Sir Gareth in the book of Sir Gareth. That's that totally, that's a paper that absolutely. That's a, a, that would be a really interesting, um, uh, uh, moot paper topic. Gotta say. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I, I, I had not thought of that, Sarah, but now that you mentioned it, I'm like, yeah, no, I'm seeing all kinds of connections now. Uh, yeah, that's cool. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, 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 sorry, uh, Sakaya. Yeah, it's um, uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is the name of the book uh, that uh, uh, Sarah's referring to. It's a, a children's book by Roald Dahl. Um, D-A-H-L, if I'm remembering how to spell it properly. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, oh, it's like David in the Bible feigning madness. Well, possibly his circumstances were slightly... Um, more peculiar, however. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, his, his, uh, yeah. David doesn't lead with it, (laughs) right? Which is what Gareth is doing here. Um, yeah, yeah. Sorry, Stephen, you're absolutely right. The book is Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is the movie. My my, uh, my my mistake there. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, of course. Roald Dahl went with the alliteration, which is better. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, cool. Okay. All right. Um, 
let's keep going. Because again, his request tells us something about him and helps to contextualize his strange approach to Arthur. Now, sir, this is my petition at this feast, that ye will give me meat and drink sufficiently for this twelfth month, and at that die I will ask mine other two giftes. My fire son, sighed King Arthur, ask better, I counsel thee, for this is but a simple asking, for mine heart giveth to me greatly, giveth me to thee greatly, that thou art come of men of worship, and greatly my conceit fileth me, but thou shalt prove a man of wreaked great worship. Sir, he sighed, thereof be as be my, for I have asked that I will ask at this time. Well, sighed the king, ye shall have meat and drink now. I never forbade it, my friend, nother my foe. But what is thy name, I would weet? Sir, I cannot tell you. That is marvile, sighed the king, that thou knewest not thy name, and thou art one of the goodliest young man that ever I saw. Then the king betook him to Sir Kai the steward, and charged him that he had of all manner of meates and drinkes of the best, and also that he had all manner of finding, as though he were a lord's son. That shall little need, sighed Sir Kai, to do such cost upon him, for I undertake he is a villain born, and never walmak man, for and he had become of gentlemen, he would have axed horse and armour, but as he is, so he asketh. And sithen he hath no name, I shall give him a name, which shall be called Bowminus, that is to say, Firehandes. And into the kitchen I shall bring him, and there he shall have fat broes every day, that he shall be as fat at the twelve-month end as a pork hog. All right. Um... <laughs> so, first Arthur, then Kay, right? Arthur is surprised at the simplicity of the request. I mean, Arthur's like, man, I just made a perfectly good rash vow, and the only thing you're going to ask for, I've just promised, I've just given you carte blanche, and what you're going to ask for is food, just that I feed you for a year, right? Seriously? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um... This is, uh, yeah, a simple asking, right? Arthur is surprised. He's like, dude, I'd have given you that for nothing, right? I mean, I, I don't deny food to my foes. Right? If my enemy came and asked for food, I'd give it to him, right? So ask me for more. And Bowman says, nope, nope, I'm not going to ask for anything other than just that you feed me for a year, right? Again, Weakness, simplicity, humility. This is literally as humble a request as he could possibly ask. This is the kind of thing that a beggar would ask, right? Uh, you know, like a beggar and outcast might come to the feast and asking for scraps, right? Asking for food. That is the position that he puts himself in. Um, again, as far as possible from, you know, striding boldly into the court and, you know, demanding recognition or, or, or admiration, Right. Um, in fact, as we quickly see from Sir Kay, he forfeits it by asking this. Right. Arthur wants Elise to know his name and he says, I cannot tell him. I love um, uh, I love Arthur's response to he takes him completely literally. You don't know your name. 
that's amazing. How do you not know your name? Right? Uh, no, he knows it, Arthur. He just doesn't want to tell you. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, wait, Arthur, I'm forgetting what Brawas are, what he's being fed. Somebody looked that up. I forget. Actually, I can look it up. I'm totally forgetting that. I mean, obviously, it's. I kind of read over it because I'm like, obviously, some kind of food stuff. Uh, you know, broth. Okay, right. Yeah. So he's gonna he's he's gonna he's gonna give him fat soup. There you go. No problem. Fat soup every day. He's gonna be as fat at the end of a twelve month as a pork hog. There you go. Excellent. Um. Okay. Notice the whole premise of Kay's response, right? Kay's response is on the one hand, in, in one twisted sense, it's appropriate, right? In another sense, of course, totally inappropriate, right? Inappropriate, rather. Um, in the sense in which it's appropriate, Kay draws what is in one sense a logical conclusion, right? As Kay says, um, uh, as he is, so he asketh, right? You can tell, like, you know, if you have something and you're not sure if it's a bird or a fish, what do you do, right? Put it down near some water and see. Does it go to the water and swim or does it fly away, right? Uh, you'll know whether it's a bird or a fish pretty quickly, right? Again, this is, this is kind of how they're thinking, right? So only if, as Kay says, if he were a knight, if he were, if he were come of gentlemen, Right? If he were of the second estate, he his natural asking, his inclination would be to ask for a horse and armor. That's what Sir Tor did, right? Sir Tor kept asking to fight. He wanted to fight. He wanted to participate in combats. He wanted to wear armor, right? Because it's who he was. He couldn't help it. Um, if this dude were also of gentlemen, even just on uh, only on father's side and not on motor's side, as is the case of Sir Tor, then... It, it, it would show, right? It would show in his very desires. So if all he wants is food, you know, QED, right? So again, Kay's position is, in a sense, logical, right? It's logical. Um, and in line with the general worldview, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So, okay. In that sense, it's an appropriate response. In another sense, I would say, in, in, in an even almost deeper sense, it's an appropriate response in that it seems to me that this is exactly the situation that Sir Gareth has set up for himself, right? There is one sense in which this is the reception that Beaumains, right, that Gareth wanted. Um... I say in one sense, of course, in another sense, as we'll see, it's not, in fact, the one he was hoping for, um, but it's the one he is actively inviting, right? I am weak. I can barely stand. Look at me. I'm nobody, right? Yes, I'm kind of impressive. I'm, I'm, I'm ripped, but I'm, I, you know, weak, right? And I'm just, I'm, 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 I've come and I'm, I ask for a gift from the king and he gives me a boon and I'm like, can I, can I have a bowl of soup, right? Um, because I'm hungry, uh, and you know, you just feed me for the next year, and that's all I want—just food, right? 
he's asking for it, right? He's asking, in a sense, he's asking for what K gives him. So K is, is in one sense, kind of a touchstone for us, right? That is, he shows us what the kind of natural conclusion, I, I, it seems to, it, it's, this is the interpretation. This is a very logical interpretation. It's the one that Sir Gareth seems to have set up for himself, right? So um, in that way, it's appropriate. But of course, the ungentleness, the uh, uh, the rudeness of Sir Kay's treatment of Beaumates, right? Notice how Arthur is very polite to him, right? Notice Arthur's response to Gareth. I don't just mean what he says. I mean how he responds personally, right? Um, so uh, look at uh, look at that there. He says, um, mine, mine heart giveth me to thee greatly, that thou art come of men of worship. My heart gives itself to you, right? I, I, I'm, I, I'm feeling you, man. Like I, I, something about you inspires uh, a positive reaction from me, right? I'm just looking at you, and I'm like, okay, you know, I like this guy, and I don't know why, right? And I have a, I, you know, he has this like instinct. Arthur has this instinct that this guy. Though it's kind of weird what he's asked and what he's doing, um, he has this instinct that he comes of men of worship, right? Um, and greatly my conceit fileth me, but thou shalt prove a man of reeked great worship. Uh, conceit, this is an important word. Um, the word conceit has nothing to do uh, with, like, if uh, in a modern context, in modern English, we would call somebody conceited. It has absolutely nothing to do with that. The word conceit is a technical term. It's a, it's a, it's a psychological term. Um, it means conception, like thing that you imagine in your head. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, if you, when you picture something in your head, that is a conceit. Right, especially if it's an abstract concept, it's just a, it's just a, it's just an image. It's just a picture. So, like, if you like picture a horse, then that's not really a conceit. Um, but if you are looking at a horse and you are, you have a conceit where you're like, uh, I could, you know, uh, buy this horse and like take it home and use it as breeding stock with my other horse, and that might help the stock of my horses to, you know, like if you have a whole plan, right, about the horse that you're conceiving in your head, that's a conceit, right? So greatly my conceit faileth me. So he's like, my heart gives itself to you, right? I just, I, I've really taken to you. I have a, I have a, I have a sense that you've come from people of great worship. Um, and I have this conceit that you're going to prove a man of right great worship, right? I don't know why, I don't know, but like uh, this, this, this image in my head of you uh, uh, going on to become like I can't get that out of my head, right? And and so and but it's I'm way off base if that doesn't prove to be true, right? Um. So uh, yeah, okay. Um. So Arthur, his response is very positive towards him, right? And notice the way that he talks here, right, about his conceit failing him, about his heart giving him, giving, uh, giving itself to him greatly, right, shows his reaction is contrary to explicit fact. Again, f- b- judging only on outward things, Kay's right, or at least Kay makes sense. Um, that, that, that's what it sounds like. It sounds like he's nobody, 
right? That he's probably in the third estate. He's he's not a gentleman because not how a gentleman would act is not what a gentleman would ask for, right? Despite the outward evidence, Arthur's heart gives itself to him, right? But he talks like that because the evidence, the apparent evidence is against him, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Josiah, conceit equals concept pretty much. Not exactly uh, in the sense that concept concept is more of a um, concept is more of a is more sort of static, right? Like if you have a concept and you're talking about like a single idea, right? A conceit is sort of like more about like a whole process, right? Um, like I have a conceit of uh, um, well, um, to use medieval terms, I could say. In the beginning, Signum University was a conceit, right? I had this conceit of how we could form a new online university that would be awesome in, in, in all these new ways, right? But it was only a conceit. It was a it was an idea, but not just a single idea, right? It was a it was this whole network of ideas and processes, right, that would lead to this outcome. So there is a sort of a, what we might call a concept or uh, or a you know the, this one singular thing that is the outcome of what Signum University would be like. Um, but, uh, but the whole thing of like what I would do and how it would grow and how we could make it grow and become Signum University, that's a conceit. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so the difference between Arthur's response and Kay's response, right? Kay judges by appearances and, judges logically by appearances, but is rude, right? Um, is unkind to, unkind in the modern sense, uh, to Beaumains. And um, notice this tells you, this tells you something about them, Right? I said that this story is all about testing and proving, right? Arthur and Kay have just been tested, and we're seeing the results of the test. Sir Gareth has presented himself as like a kind of litmus test, right? To uh, identify true knighthood, right? Arthur passes. Kay fails. Um, Kay responds, seeing that there is reason to believe that this guy in front of him is... Uh, villain, right, is a peasant, is a member of the third estate, he treats him badly and mocks him, right? And interestingly, the fact that he gives him the nickname Bowmines, right, we talked about that. The beauty of his hands is of anything, uh, possibly the one single most suggestive outward marker that he is gently born, right? And, and not one of the third estates. So he sort of seizes upon the one thing that doesn't fit that, or that fits least, perhaps I should say the one thing that fits least with his interpretation of Sir Gareth, right? That this guy, this guy's obviously a peasant, right? He takes the one thing that fits with that least and makes the mocking nickname out of that, right? I'm going to call you pretty hands, right? Cause you got real nice hands, right? Which again would therefore, so he, by giving him that mocking nickname, he's mocking him not just for being a peasant, right? 
Uh, he doesn't give him a nickname and say, I'm going to call you Peasant Boy or something like that, right? No, he calls him Bowmines because he's making fun of the thing that most looks like a nobleman. He's convinced he's not a nobleman, right? So he is uh, making fun of him for aspiring to noblehood, for almost looking like a, for like the one part of him. I mean, again, it's like in Kay's mind, this is like a fish with fins or rather a, a bird with fins is what I meant to say, right? It's like a bird with a, with like a fin, right? So he's making fun of that. Like, oh, you're the bird with a fin, right? You're a peasant, but you've got, but you've got nice hands, right? So I, that might be enough to fool some people, but like, I know what you're, what you really are, right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Devra, I wonder, uh, Devra is suggesting that perhaps it, uh, Kay is implying that he's actually an incompetent peasant, right? Like you're a member of the laboratories that doesn't work, uh, which is why, which would be supported, Devra, by the fact that he's come as a beggar, right? Oh, so you can't even be bothered to, to work like the other members of the third estate? You're going to slouch on that and you're just going to come begging for food and asking the king to feed you for free for a year and you, and do no work? Come on now, Right? Um, that would be like a knight. And again, remember, try not to apply, you know, modern framework here. A peasant who refuses to work is like a knight who refuses to fight. Right? Exactly the same. A coward knight. Remember Lancelot, were, like, you know, being upset about these people like Sir Paris and Sir Tarquin, who were like the scandal of knighthood, right? Uh, false knights and, and uh, uh, you know, giving a bad name to knights. Well, Beaumains here is giving a bad name to peasants, right? Um, that's not how real, true peasants act, <laughs> right? So, I mean, it's, again, so don't think of Sir Kay exclusively as just like, a taskmaster or a slave driver or something like that. Again, it's not like I'm going to get lots of work out of you. It's I'm going to make you do, I'm going to, you know, it would be like taking a young knight who is slouching on his work and making him fight, right? That's the way that Kay seems to be thinking about this. And again, notice what he's doing is he's saying, look, I, I know you, right? I've got you pegged. And of course he's wrong, but it's a wrong interpretation that, Sir Gareth actively invites in order to test what is really at the heart um, of these people, it seems. Okay. And here's where here's the narrator explaining this a little more explicitly. And so Sir Kai bade get him a place and sit down to meet. So Bominas went to the hall door and set him down among boyas and ladders, and there he ate sadly. And Thon Sir Launcelot, after meat, bade him come to his chamber, and there he should have meat and drink enow. And so did Sir Gawain. But he refused them all, for he would do none other but as Sir Kai commanded him, for no proffer. But as touching Sir Gawain, he had reason to proffer him lodging, meat, and drink, for that proffer come of his blood, for he was nearer kin to him than he wist of. But that Sir Launcelot did was of his great gentleness and courtesy. Okay. Um, remember, Arthur says, feed him, but don't just feed him, right? He says, uh, uh, he betoke him to Sir Kai the steward and charged him that he had, he, Beaumains, right, Gareth, had of all manner of meates and drinkes of the best, 
right? Give him the best meat and drink that we have, and also that he had all manner of finding, as though he were a lord or his son. Finding is that's a kind of a vague and general world. Like, give him everything that he needs, right? Um, as though he were a lord's son. So Arthur intends to treat him as like a a, a noble ward, right? Because again, remember Arthur's heart gives itself to him greatly, right? So he tells Kate, take care of this kid, right? Treat him well, uh, treat him like a lord's son, because I'm pretty sure he probably is, right? At least that's what, that's my conceit, and um, uh, and give him all the best meat and drink that you can. Kay doesn't do it. Kay does not do what Arthur tells him to do, and instead he's like, come on, leave this kid to me, right? I know what's really going on here. This kid is a beggar. Uh, he even gives his theory, right? He probably was like a, you know, taken in at some abbey or other, and they ran out of food, and so he came here to beg, right? Leave him to me. Leave him to me. And so he sits him down among the the boys and lads, and there he eat, uh, Gareth eat, sadly. Now, sadly, by the way, uh, doesn't mean, it's it, so he's not depressed, right? He's not depressed. Sadly means solemnly, very seriously, right? Um... He's going to look ridiculous. Remember, this is a guy who's taller than almost all the men in the room, right? Sir Gareth is is huge. Um, and he's sitting among the boys and lads. So he's going to look ridiculous there. And also it means he's just getting scraps, right? He is not being given the meat and drink of the best. Um, he's likely to still be hungry after this meal, right? Um, that's why both Lancelot and Gawain, both of whose hearts give themselves to him as well, just like Arthur's, um, both invite him to their rooms afterwards. And like, you know, they can see he's not being given enough to eat. Right. And so they offer to feed him more afterwards. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, Yeah, David, I'm not sure. David Erbach asks, any chance that Kay still sees Arthur as sort of an upstart little adopted brother whom he thinks he knows better than? Uh, or is that basically not a factor because Arthur's king? Well, David, I mean, he explicitly is claiming that he knows better than Arthur here, right? Um, the interesting thing, and I don't know what to make of it in, in, in a sense, we're kind of not given enough data because this is this is not Sir Kay's story, um, nor is it even Arthur's story. So, for instance, we might want to know more about, like, dude, what exactly is the dynamic between Arthur and Kay? David, exactly as you're asking, right? Um, you know, uh, does Kay ever get rebuked? Does Arthur just let Kay get away with anything, right? Kay doesn't have to obey Arthur because, what, he knows better? He's the steward. Would... Arthur just, like, having remitted him to Kay's care, he just trusts Kay to take care of it and doesn't audit the accounts, right? Doesn't check and see, like, Kay, are you do are you treating him well like I told you to treat him? Um, do only Lancelot and Gawain notice and Arthur just doesn't even notice? Or, again, does Arthur be like, well, I'm not going to transgress on, you know, Kay's domain? No idea, right? Um, we're not told that, right? Again, this is not their story. Um, that's not the focal point here. The focal point is on Gareth and how he acts and how other people treat him, right? Um, uh, Veronica asks, would it be considered strange for a knight like Lancelot to invite a peasant like Beaumains to his chamber? Well, no, I mean, in a sense, no. I mean, he's, it, for him to be kind, uh, to be, uh, to, to show great gentleness and courtesy to people is apparently no, not unusual at all. Um, uh, I mean, does Lancelot routinely do this with the other kitchen boys? No, it does not seem that he does that. Uh, though he is 
generous and so would doubtless be kind and generous uh, to the other kitchen boys. Um, but his invitation to Beaumains, uh shows that he disagrees with Kay, right? Um, he is, by inviting him to his own rooms, uh, he is treating him not necessarily as an equal, but um, he is treating him as a gentleman, right? Not as, uh, not as a kitchen boy. And so is Gawain, right? But notice here, uh, this is uh, this is a really interesting distinction here. Poor Sir Gawain. Sir Gawain, we've seen Sir Gawain do a lot of bad things, right? And here Sir Gawain is doing something good, right? He's, you know, so, so we've got Sir Gawain falling on the Lancelot and Arthur side of the equation instead of on the K side of the equation. So that's good, right? Sort of unusually good uh, performance for Sir Gawain as we've seen him here over the last, you know, 100 pages or so. And yet... That the narrator undermines that, right? Um, what's the difference between Gawain's proffers to Beaumains and Lancelot's proffers to Beaumains? As touching Sir Gawain, he had reason to proffer him lodging, meat, and drink, for that proffer come of his blood, for he was near kin to him than he wist of. Why does Gawain do it, right? What leads him to do it? Remember Arthur saying that his heart gives itself to him, right? Like, it's just something about, there's just something about him. Um, there's just something about him, Beaumains, right? That leads Arthur to think, gosh, you must come of men of great worship. What is it? There's something in particular, Right. You kind of look like me. This is his nephew. Gareth is his nephew, as Gareth is going to reveal. He is Sir Gawain's little brother, right? There are four brothers. Well, four and a half, uh, Mordred. Um, but anyway, there's four full brothers, right? Uh, the, the sons of King Lot and and uh, uh, and uh, Queen Mor- Morgaz. Gawain is the oldest. Gareth is the youngest. So this is Gawain's kid brother that he left at home, right? He's been at the court for a while. He's not been back to Orkney for a while. So Gareth has grown up and he doesn't even recognize him, Um, which again, normal, right? That often happens. Um, So, okay. He, um, it's not that he recognizes him, Veronica, neither Arthur nor Gawain recognize him. This is, again, it's more of a... Uh, I don't know, spiritual thing, sort of intuition thing, right? Um, he just knows somehow, right? His blood calls out to him, right? And, and he just kind of instinctively, his blood, Gawain's blood, is prompting him instinctively to be kind to Gareth. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it is an instinct in his blood. In that sense, he kind of can't help it. Um, so it's, it's a vibe, Carita. Okay, it's a vibe. We'll go with that. He's getting the fraternal vibe, uh, but he doesn't register it, right? So he's not sitting there thinking like, gosh, this kid looks familiar. No indication Gawain ever does that, ever recognizes him at all, right? Um, it's, you know, instead he's just like, again, like, as, as Arthur said it, there's just something about this kid that makes Gawain's heart give itself to him, right? Um, and it turns out the answer is his blood, right? It's his blood. With Lancelot, there is nothing that draws Lancelot to him apart from Lancelot's own virtue, 
right? It is Lancelot's great gentleness and courtesy that prompts him to act this way towards. So both Gawain and Lancelot pass the test, right? But Lancelot is the one who totally passes it, right? Um, who passes it without <laughs> sort of cheating, right? Um, it's kind of less... Um, there's less to brag about for Sir Gawain because, in a sense, he almost can't help it, right? Not quite, almost. He doesn't get no credit, but he does not get full credit for passing this test. And in a sense, of course, neither does Arthur, right? Arthur is not so near kin as uh, as Gawain is. I mean, he's Gawain's brother, right? Um, but uh, but he is kin, and I think it's one of the things that we can kind of... It's one of the jokes that we can see behind Arthur's speech, right, when we find that out later on. Okay. Finally, a year later, right, it's been 12 months at the next feast. Beaumains has been not only eating, right, but being put to work in the kitchens by Kay. And here we come back to that observation um, that uh, Devra made before, right? Kay is not just persecuting him. He's not just exploiting him. He's reforming him, right? Kay is convinced this dude is a peasant, and so he should be working, Right? I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to encourage him to f- like fulfill his place in the world. Like that's it's not even just unkind of K to do that. Now is it unkindly done? Yes. Uh no question, right? Um and of course it turns out to be inappropriate, right? Because he's wrong. <laughs> he's making this uh this guy who is a king and queen's son do labor in the kitchen, right? Which is not appropriate to his estate. But nevertheless, Kay kind of almost thinks he's doing right, but I think he also knows he's being a jerk, right? But anyway, the damsel comes. So this damsel comes and says, hey, um, there's a knight who is oppressing a lady and I need help, right? And they ask for more information and she won't give any more information, right? Um, and interestingly, Arthur is balking here. He, he's not, he's like, you know, here's King Arthur for some reason deciding he's not going to buy a pig in a poke, right? Which normally he does all the time. Um, but um, fortunately, Bowman's kind of takes him off the hook here. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, Kay, the times that Kay, uh, or Carita, the times that Kay is right thing, wrong reason, um, the only other thing that he does is, is, is wrong thing, right reason, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of, you combine those two things and yeah, you've got, you've got, you've got, uh, pretty much a hundred percent Sir Kay there. Anyway. Okay. So with these waters come, come Bowminus before the king while the damsel was there. And thus he sighed, Sir King, God, thank you. I have been this 12 month in your kitchen and have had my full sustenance. And now I will ask my other two gifts that been behind. Ask on now upon my peril, said the king. Sir, this shall be my first gift of the twelve gifts, that ye will grant me to have this adventure of the damsel, for it belongeth unto me. Thou shalt have it, sighed the king. I grant it thee. Then, sir, this is that other gift that ye shall grant me, that Sir Launcelot du Lac shall mock me knicked, for of him I will be mad knicked, and of Ellis and Ellis of none. And when I am past, you let him ride after me, and mock me knicked when I require him. All this shall be done, sighed the king. 
Fee on thee, sighed the damsel. Shall I have none but on that is your kitchen canava? Then she waxed angry, and anon she took her horse. Okay, so it is a little bit insulting, right? I mean, it, it really does look like he's just admitted that he's been in the kitchen for a year, right? And it really does kind of, she he's just admitted he's not a knight, right? He's, he's never been knighted, uh, so he's asking to be knighted. So this dude from the kitchen has come to King Arthur and said, hey, can you give me a couple boons? And he's like, yeah, sure. And he says, oh, so uh, I'm your, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a kitchen boy, um, but will you give me this adventure and make me a knight? So she's like, oh, yeah, wow, thanks, Arthur. That's uh, that's really fantastic. Um, and James, yeah, he's also very young, too. Um, so, so yeah, uh, this is... Uh, this doesn't look good. Uh, and I can understand why the damsel's waxing angry here, right? And taking her horse and leaving, right? Um... One phrase which I don't think I understand is, for it belongeth unto me. I'm not sure in what sense Beaumains is saying, this adventure belongs to me. Like, this is, this is, this is appointed for me. Um, I don't think, um, I don't think that he is, I don't think that he is implying that he knew about this in advance and has been angling for this, that like the reason he didn't ask his other two gifts in advance was that he knew that this damsel was going to be coming this year. And so he was holding off to get this and that, and that he had, so he had prior knowledge of the whole situation. I don't think so. I'm very skeptical of that, especially since we find out that, um, you know, the lady, who's been besie- who's being besieged by the the red knight of the red lands is uh has been besieged for like 2 years right um so like was she going to come this year was she going to come last year like would she have come at some other time like it's it's there's no real way i think to predict exactly this occasion instead this it seems to me um uh Carita, exactly that he's taking the adventure that god hath ordained um i think that it seems to me that this was Gareth's plan. <clears throat> plan A. Come to the court with a show of weakness, ask just to be fed, see what happens, right? And then, uh, a year later, take upon himself a nightly quest. And he's just kind of trusting that a nightly quest is going gonna, is gonna to show up, right? Um, kind of like Arthur's trusting that a Marvel's going to show up so that he can eat dinner, right? Um, and, so, and of course, it, the more so in that one always generally does show up at Arthur's court in time for dinner, right? So Beaumains is like, okay, so next year's Marvel, I'm going to call dibs on next year's Marvel. And it turns out this is next year's Marvel, right? So I do think he's taking the adventure that God ordain, has ordained uh, for him. Now, Jennifer, you can't rule out the fact that um, he might have stumbled across some golden graffiti somewhere that explained the whole thing to him. You know, you just can't rule that out. But we have no uh, reason uh, to think that. We've not been given any kind of evidence of that. Um, But um, notice the very specific instructions he gives about the knighting, right? Um, Why? What's the business about following? When I am when I am past, you let him ride after me and mock me connect when I require him. That's about maintaining secrecy, right? 
that he's gonna have to admit his name before he can be knighted. Lancelot is pretty clear on that when it finally happens, right? That's it's kind of an important part of the ceremony. You're not gonna be like and I knight you, sir, we have no idea who the heck you are or whether you deserve it or whether you're of gentle parentage or anything else, right? I, I mean, that's, that's, um, it's, it's not, that's not done, right? And he does not want to admit before the whole court. So he doesn't want to make, clearly, Arthur would be like, hey, Lancelot, knight the guy, right? Like he'd be knighted right here so that he could go take off on his adventure. And Gareth arranges it specifically so that he meets with Lancelot away from the court and where only the two of them are witnesses uh, to the knighting ceremony. Uh, so it seems to be about the secrecy. This is, again, another one of these things which leads me to believe that Sir Gareth has these things planned out, right? Um, he's not just come weekly by accident because he happened to be weak. He has not asked for food because he couldn't think of anything else. He's, got, he's playing the long game here. He has a plan. Right again, I don't think this means he knows about this particular adventure in advance, but I think that this is uh, uh, you know, this is the adventure that has come along, and this is part of this is part of his plan. Um, and he's he's got it worked out how the knighting is uh, is going to go down. Then Kay goes after him. Right now, remember how this looks from Kay's point of view. Kay's kind of ticked, right? Um, and he's kind of ticked because. This kid is, is, I mean, he's, Kay is still convinced he's basely born. He has shown himself to be basely born, both by the fact that he just asked for food and by the fact that he has happily set himself to working in the kitchens over the last year, right? In a sense, by assigning him to work in the kitchens, Kay's kind of testing him again, right? Like, is he really a fish or is he really a bird, Right. Remember Sir Tor. How did the Ares the cowherd know that Sir Tor was, there was something off about Sir Tor? Well, because he wouldn't work, right? He wouldn't work. Instead, he kept going off and watching people fighting and shooting longbows and things, right? He wouldn't work. Um, Beaumains did work. He would work. And there you go, like, proven, right? Kay is like, all right, I knew it all along. This kid is a peasant. Okay, and now the peasant boy, whom he has proven to be a peasant boy, takes up armor and schmancy armor, right? He's wearing cloth of gold and everything. Uh, and he goes off on his horse, right? And Kay is like, okay, this this is not okay. Um, there is, I think, um, part of it, of course, is uh, uh, he's, 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 he's angry personally because he, Kay, is, is embarrassed by this, right? Everybody knows how Kay has treated him, which Kay, Kay's treatment would have been perhaps not like admirable, but justifiable, at least it would have been kind of, um, in a sense, justified by events had he turned out to be correct. Right. Um, but now this kid is making Kay look like a fool. So I think that's why Kay is kind of personally ticked off about it. Right. Um, and, uh, but he's also, I think there's also a sense in which, uh, I, I think there's an element of Kay's attitude here. Um, which is derived based on something almost like a distant cousin of Sir Lancelot's desire to, like, defend the honor of knighthood, right? If this kid is just a peasant who has put on fancy armor and picked up a shield and sword, he's going to know it, right? There's an easy way of proving this, and that's by fighting him. Because if this kid is a peasant, he's going to be incompetent, 
right? And Kay's going to whoop him. Um, so he's going to, he's going to, he's going to test this, right? He's going to test this. He's going to test the theory. And Rikso, he came into the hall, that is Beaumains, of course, and took his leave of King Arthur and Sir Gawain and of Sir Launcelot and pried, and pried him to he after him, that is, ask Lancelot to come after him. And so he departed and rode after the damsel, but there went many after to behold how well he was horsed and trapped in cloth of gold, but he had neither spear nor shield. Then Sir Kai said all openly in the hall, I will ride after my boy of the kitchen to wait whether he will know me for his better. See, he's going to test the theory here and also get his own back and justify himself. Yet, said Sir Launcelot and Sir Gawain, abide at home. They have a bad feeling about this, right? So Sir Kai made him ready, mod him ready, and took his horse and his spear and rode after him, and reeked as Bomines overtook the damsel, reeked so come Sir Kai, and said, Bomines, what, sir, knew ye not me? Ye, I knew you well, for an ungentle knicked of the court, and therefore beware of me. Therewith Sir Kai put his spear in the rest, and ran straight upon him, and Bomines come as fast upon him with his sword in his hand, and so he put away his spear with his sword, and with a foin thrust him through the side, that Sir Kai fell down as he had been dead. Then Bomines leaked down, and took Sir Kai's shield and his spear, and stared upon his own horse, and rode his why. Notice that Sir Kay is um, also acting dishonorably here, right? He is attacking a semi-armed man. He doesn't even, Beaumains doesn't even have a shield, right? Um, not only does he not have a lance of his own for them to joust at each other equally, he doesn't even have a shield with which to deflect the lance with which Kay is coming at him. Um, so this is... Um, a dishonorable action by Kay and, and kind of shows us that he is, uh, well, notice the, in a sense it fits, right? Kay does not think he's fighting an equal. So he's not going to like get, in Kay's mind, this is a knight rebuking an upstart peasant who's pretending to be a knight, right? So you don't give him knightly weapons, right? You don't get, this is, so he's, he's, uh, He's not, he doesn't see this as a combat, right? He sees this as a, um, you know, he's just going to give him a thrashing. And the fact that he is coming at him with full knightly panoply and uh, Gareth does not have all the knightly accoutrements, right, is, in Kay's mind, perhaps fitting, right? Sort of how it should be. Um, uh, And, of course... Gareth not only uh, defeats him, but humiliates him for the very same reason, right? You had a spear and a shield. I had neither one. And, you know, like with one shot, uh, he thrusts him through the side with the foin that is a, a thrust of his sword. Uh, and Kay drops. Um, Lancelot then catches up with him and the two of them fight. Right. You know, not out of anger. Right. But it just sort of out of, out of a, as a as a challenge. Lancelot, this is like his final exam. 
right? Lancelot is clearly, though much more kindly, much more generously, and much more respectfully, right? Lancelot uh, uh, jousts with him, fights with him on foot, treats him like an equal, right? Gives him a chance to show that he's an equal, but he wants to feel his strength. He wants to see, like, A, is this guy, you know, this is the time to see whether I've been right about him all along, right? Um, And, uh, you know, he wants to be sure. So this is is like, uh, I don't know, Lancelot doing a background check before he does the knighting, essentially. Um, yes, and for, so Veronica Bowman's riding off with Kay's shield and lance, right, is a nifty little symbolic thing, right? Um, he not only uh, he not only proves his own knightly status against Kay, right, that Kay did not have the right end of that particular stick, but that uh, he then sort of takes from Kay his own articles of knighthood, right? His own sort of symbols of knighthood and takes them for himself, right? So Kay has lessened himself and Gareth has lessened him. Um, uh, he has been lessened in that exchange with Gareth and that makes it, no, not to mention, grievously wounded. Anyway, so Lancelot and Beaumains. So they rushed together like two boris, tracing and traversing and foining the maintenance of an oar. And Sir Launcelot felt him so big that he marveled of his strength, for he fought more like a giant than a knicht, and his fichting was so passing durable and passing perilous. For Sir Launcelot had so much ado with him that he dread himself to be shamed, and sighed, Beaumains, Fake not so sore. Your quarrel and mine is not great, but we may soon leave off. Truly, that is troth, said Bomines. But it doth me good to feel your meekt, and yet, my lord, I show it not the utterance. In God is nama, said Sir Launcelot, for I promise you, be the faith of my body, I had as much to do as I meekt have to save myself for you unshamed, and therefore had ye do, had ye, had ye no docht of non-earthly knicht. Hope ye so that I may any while stand a praved knicht? Do as ye have done to me, said Sir Launcelot, and I shall be your warrant. Launcelot's like, dude, you know, he, uh, he's really powerful, right? Um, and he says, you know, um, we could actually stop now, right? Launcelot is not 100% sure he's going to win this fight if they continue. Right, that's how strong Beaumains is, and how much respect uh, he earns from Lancelot. And notice, Lancelot's not trying to hide that. He's not like, "Let's fight before I get knocked down a peg on the standings." Right? Um, he admits, um, you know, I, by the faith of my body, I had as much to do as I might have to save myself from you unshamed. He he, he tells him, he's like, "Man, you almost beat me right there. Right? It was all I could do just to defend myself." Therefore, don't you be afraid of anybody, right? You, you, you almost took me. You can take pretty much anybody, man. Um, hope ye so that I may any while stand a private connect. So um, there's hope that I might stand someday a proved knight. <laughs> and then Lancelot, you can hear him laughing, right? Do as you have done to me and I'll be your warrant, right? Yeah, if you fight like that, yeah, no, yeah, no worries. Uh, I can vouch for you. Um, yeah, yeah. So um, I show it not the utterance means I didn't, 
uh, I didn't, you know, it means uh, I know something you do not know, right? I am not left-handed. It's not quite exactly like that. But, you know, he was saying, like, I wasn't even trying as hard as I possibly could. Right. That's what Gareth says to Lancelot. Right. He's like, oh, really? Well, I, actually, I was I was kind of holding back, actually. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> but that question. Right. And Karina, that's what I mean. That this sentence more than any other. This question um, is why I call Sir Gareth adorable. Right. Like this is this is the kind of thing that Sir Gareth does. Hope ye so that I may only while stand a private connect. And I don't think that he's like this is false modesty. Right. There's clearly a little hero worship going on here from Gareth to Lancelot, right? As might well be, right? Uh, do you really have hope that I might someday stand approved knight? Yeah, I think you're going to be fine. Right? I think I think uh, I can pretty much guarantee it. Um, but again, this is where I, you know, this is the passage from which I was really focusing in on that phrase in the title of tonight's class, approved knight. It's all about the proving. Gareth began his career by himself being a test, right? By himself proving the knights of Arthur's court, as embodied in the four that we see interacting with him, right? Arthur and Gawain pretty much pass the test, but they, you know, have an advantage, right? Lancelot totally passes, Kay totally fails. Um, But of course, he's not just going about trying to prove other people, right? He's trying to prove himself. So he has proven himself to Lancelot and in part also to himself here. And of course, then Lancelot knights him, asks him his identity. He swears Lancelot to silence and tells him he's Gareth Gawain's brother. And he's like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense, right? All right. Uh, Of course you are. But I promise I won't tell anybody. The damsel, however, not... uh, not having any of it. He catches up with her again, and she lays into him. What dost thou here? Thou stinkest all of the kitchen. Thy cloth has been bowdy of the grease and tallow. What wantest, what wantest thou? Said the laddie. That I will allow thee for yonder knight that thou killed. So this is right after he fought somebody. He fought his first battle and killed, killed the opponent knight. Nay, truly, for thou slewest him unhappily and cowardly. Therefore turn again, thou bowdy kitchen canava. I knew thee well, for Sir Kai named thee Bowminus. What art thou, what art thou, but a lusk and a turner of brooches and a laddle washer? <laughs> I love that. Laddle washer. Um, I, uh, someday I want to have, uh, I want to have Laddle Washer uh, on my, uh, like, my, my name tag. Um, I was, uh, uh, I, have, I, have, I, have, I have sometimes considered putting Turner of Brooches in Laddle Washer uh, as, as part of my email signature. Um, but, you know, I figured, like, the people in the Department of Education in the state of New Hampshire might not perhaps get the joke. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah. Um, uh, notice, by the way, she calls him a body kitchen knave all the time. Body doesn't mean what you think it means. Um, uh, notice she ex- she uses the word body in its uh, much more sort of technical sense in that in that second sentence, right? Thou stinkest all of the kitchen, thy clothes been body of the grease and tallow, right? Um, 
his clothes are so saturated with grease and tallow that he's he's a he's a he's a mess. He's dirty. He's greasy. He's stinky. Right. Um, that's uh, you know so been body of the grease and tallow. Um, so when she's calling him body, she's not. It's it has nothing to do with sexual virtue or vice of any kind. Right. It's not a sexual term at all. Um, it's uh, it's a description of his person, of his clothes, of his odor. Okay, so uh, uh, Narnaith says, we are supposed to see this lady as slightly horrible, right? Yes. Yes, Narnaith, we are. And one of the things that is really interesting all the way through here, right? So we've got, for a long stretch of this section, the lady and Beaumains themselves are fixed points, right? They don't change. She continues to treat him horribly and say terrible things about him and undermine him in every chance that she gets, right? And uh, refuse to give him any credit for the uh, the, the accomplishments uh, that he accomplishes. She's very steady in that. And he is very steady in not taking offense and in bearing it patiently uh, and in continuing to follow her and not be chased away. What changes, though, Narnaith, and this, I think, is where our own cue kind of comes in. What changes is the reception of other people, right? When they meet the Black Knight, for instance, the first of the chromatic brethren, as, as I've always called them, right? Those four knights who are brothers, the Black Knight, the Green Knight, the blue, the Red Knight, which is not the other Red Knight, uh, totally different Red Knight, uh, and the Blue Knight. Uh, so, you know, you've got, you've got those four, the four chromatic brothers. When he meets the Black Knight... The Black Knight hears the lady talk, and, and you know, he treats uh, Beaumains respectfully, right, like a like a like an equal, um, and uh, um, and she comes in and she's like, no, 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 come on, he's just a kitchen page dressed up in armor, and he just killed somebody by accident, and and you know drive him off. Um, and remember the black knight's like, Oh, really? Oh, fine. Well, I'll take his armor and his horse and I'll do right. He, he totally accepts what the lady says and, you know, starts dissing on Beaumains as we move through the chromatic brothers, right? The green knight, the green knight, hears the lady talk and he's like, ah, you know, I'm not sure I buy that, especially after he's beaten him. Right. He's like, you know, I can't really by, but he kind of concedes, right? And he's like, okay, I won't feed him at my table because you insist, lady. But, um, but I, I, th- I think you, you, there's, you can't be right about this, right? And then his brother, the Red Knight, resists it even more strongly. And Sir Persant of Ind um, uh, won't have anything to do with it at all. And Karita, no, I don't think he, is at, he actually stinks. Um, I, 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 I think she's just being mean. Um, it's a... It's a it's a sort of spiritual and psychological odor that still lingers about him. It's I don't think he actually smells bad. Um, and yes, Zach, the two red knights. It is confusing, right? The, there's the red knight of the red lawns, which is not the same as the red knight because um, uh, he doesn't have any red lawns. But it's super confusing because first you meet the black knight of the black lands, who has a brother, the Red Knight, but it's not the Red Knight of the Red Lawns. That's somebody totally different, right? So it just, um, uh, just, uh, just, just run with it. Um, okay. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, um, 
the damsel is absolutely harsh on him, right? Um, and treats him as if he were, in fact, a proven peasant. Um, so, again, notice what, what she denies him is any sense that anything he does is succeeding in proving him. He's trying to prove himself, right? By going out and doing one deed after another, um, one unlikely deed after another, one more, you know, in- increasingly and increasingly difficult deeds one after the other, um, in order to show, like, look, only a real knight, only a bold knight would possibly do all of these things. And, um, and she absolutely refuses to budge. Again, thinking back to his question to Sir Lancelot, she absolutely refuses. Um, she absolutely refuses to grant him any credit, right? He's not proven himself as far as she is concerned. Again, even though all the rest of the knights that he fights are like, nah, I think he's proven himself, actually, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Francis says, is he testing her also, since he takes so long to tell, uh, 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 to tell, wait, who she, since she takes so long to tell who she is? Yeah, notice, remember, she was, she would not say who she is or who her, or who her lady is, right, the lady who is in trouble. Um, so there's sort of mystery on both sides. Francis, yes, I think you are right to see that both of them are kind of feeling out the other in some sense. Right. I think, again, as so often happens in this story, everybody's testing everybody else. Right. Um, Is this just a test? Um, If so, she's being super persistent in her testing of his character. Right. How is he going to take it when I not only keep upbraiding him with being a turner of brooches and a ladle washer, but I'm going to uh, I'm going to chide him in front of other. I'm going to humiliate him publicly in front of people whom he either was about to be, uh, uh, you know, sort of accorded honor by, or, you know, by whom he, who might consider him proven, right? I'm going to do everything I can to try to undermine that. Um, How's he going to take it? How's he going to take it if she does that? Um, So in a sense, what she's doing to him, whether she's doing this on purpose or not, what she's doing to him has a similar effect to what he did to the other knights of Arthur's court, right? How are you going to respond? What does it show us about you, how you respond in this circumstance, right? If he is a true knight, right, then he's going to take it. He's not going to... It's easy to kind of think through this and ask yourself, what would Gawain do, right? Uh, What would Balin do if they were traveling with this damsel, right? And I got to think neither one of them. I love Sir Balin, but I don't think Sir Balin would have had this kind of patience. I really don't. Um, yeah. Um, no, David, I don't think that, I think that her, the, the irrash, the increasing irrationality of her, um, of her rejection of Gareth it would become more and more apparent. The more, the longer she keeps it up, the more it sounds like an act, I would say. It sounds legitimate enough at first, 
right? Again, when it happened in Arthur's court, it looked legitimately insulting. It was a bad look. Like, oh, yeah, here's my kitchen page. I'll pretend he's a knight and send him off to do your adventure, right? Oh, yeah, thanks for the assistance, right? It looked bad at first, um, and her resistance might have been genuine at first, but the longer she keeps it up, the feebler it sounds, and the more it sounds like an act of some sort rather than um, a legitimate and spontaneous reaction on her part. This is her protesting, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, to the Black Knight. Sir, I cannot be delivered of him, for with me he rideth, maugre mine heed. God wold, said she, that ye would put him from me, other to slay him, and ye may. For he is an unhappy knava, and unhappily he hath done this die through mishap. For I saw him slay two knictes at the passage of the water, and other deeds he did, before, wreaked marvellous, and through unhappiness. Um, you, of course, will remember the word unhappy uh, from Lancelot's speech about taking, uh, you know, loving ladies' paramours, right? Um, it's just misfortune. Um, here's the place where I think it really begins to sound like First, she just sounds rude, right, this lady. Like, perhaps she is failing the test just like Sir Kay failed the test, right? That's how she sounds at first. Then, here, this to me is kind of the turning point. And all those repetitions, I mean, how long does she, how many times does she repeat unhappy and mishap, right? Uh, I mean, he is an unhappy canava, and unhappily he hath done this day through mishap, uh, and he did other things, wreaked marvelous and through unhappiness, right? He's done marvelous deeds by good luck, you know, or bad luck, right? Bad luck for the other guys, right? Um, he's just like, misfortune is following this guy around. Notice how this is almost, her use of the word marvelous is particularly suggestive to me, right? Other deed as he did before wreaked marvelous, and through unhappiness, right? I'm sure it was a coincidence that he did these marvelous deeds, right? It's almost like she's warning the guy, right? But she's, and, and, you know, it's 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 strange. But again, I think that her, I think the lady is here protesting too much, right? Um, uh, it was all luck, just luck. It was just luck. And it's increasingly obvious that it's not just luck. Her own account makes it clear how feeble is the reading that he's just a peasant who's been getting lucky all this time. That's how he took two knights one on two, right? That's how he defeated those six thieves, right? One on six. That's how, you know, he's, I mean, it's just, you know, that's how he uh, defeated Sir Kay in one shot and, uh, uh, you know, fought Sir Lancelot to a standstill. Um, Just luck. Just luck. Yep, nothing more to it than that. I think it's pretty clear that she knows Right. And yet she's still insisting on this line. Right. Um, And notice that it has two tendencies. Her criticisms have the tendency first to drive him away. Is he going to be like, okay, lady, that's it. We're done. I've been trying to help you here. Right. I am fighting for you. I'm putting myself in danger to try to help your lady. You know what? Forget it. I'm out. Right. That would be one possible reaction that could be elicited by these kinds of comments. And the other, notice she's asking this other knight to fight him, right? So she's also 
actively like pushing him into combat with these other knights. As of course, what she keeps doing is saying, you shouldn't fight them. Whatever you do, don't fight them because they're going to, they're going to clean your clock. I mean, this is going to be ridiculous, right? So certainly Mr. Kitchen Knave, you've, you've uh, definitely met your match here. So don't even bother. And he does, of course. Right. So again, it's like, she's trying to drive him away, but also like she's trying to drive him forward into achieving one great deed after another as he moves through. So it seems pretty clear what, if she is doing this on purpose, what passing the test looks like, right? Um, then Beaumains, and Michelle was just asking about this, Beaumains then kind of, get, kind of gets his own back, right? Beaumains, this is with a green knight. Beaumains, and by the way, of course, this green knight has nothing to do with the other green knight. Uh, I've seen people do this. I've seen people like, see, so... You know, the Green Knight from Sir Gowan and the Green Knight is in Maori too. No, he is not. <laughs> this Green Knight is, he's just a knight who happens to have green armor, right? Uh, because this family of brothers does this color coding thing, right? Uh, you got to kind of think that like their mom dressed them all in the same color their whole childhoods or something. Um, uh, but anyway, um, so this is... <laughs> No relation to the Green Knight uh, in uh, the, the, the poem about Sir Gowan and the Green Knight. Okay. He has trying to yield... The Green Knight is defeated. And he's trying to yield himself to Beaumains. And Beaumains refuses to spare his life. All is in vain, side, side Beaumains. For thou shalt die, but if this damsel that come with me pry to save thy life. And therewithal he unlossed his helm like as he will slay him. Fie upon thee, false kitchen page! I will never pry thee to save his life, for I will not be so much in thy danger. Then shall he die, said Beaumines. Not so hardy, thou body knava, said the damsel, that thou slay him. Alas, said the grain kneeked, suffer me not to die for a fair word speaking. He's talking to the damsel here, notice. Fair knicked, now he's talking to Beaumains, said the, the green knicked. Save my life, and I will forgive thee the death of my brother, and for ever to become thy man, and thirty knicked is that hold of me, for ever shall do you service. In the devil's nama, said the damsel, that such a bowdy kitchen canava should have thirty knicked his service and thine. Sir knicked, said Beaumains, all this availeth thee nooked, but if my damsel spake to me for thy life, and therewithal he made a semblant to slay him. Right, here it comes. Let be, sighed the damsel, thou bowdy kitchen knava, slay him not, for an thou do, thou shalt repent it. Damsel, said Beaumines, your charge is to me a pleasure, and at your commandment his life shall be saved, and ellis not. Then he sighed, Sir Knecht, with a grain armus, I release thee quite at this damsel's request, for I will not mock her wrath, for I will fulfill all that she chargeth me. So what just happened here? <laughs> As you wish, <laughs> says Mike Moore. Not quite, not quite, not quite. Um, what, um... 
<laughs> I see Rachel Draper's thinking that it might not be the mom's fault, right? Rachel says, my kids all have chosen a color for themselves. Woe betide you if you try to give my green child a red pen to use. Okay, right? Yeah, no, maybe they just naturally gravitated to these colors, right? You can't, you can't, uh, can't, uh, can't, can't rule it out. Um, what, um, this is clearly an important moment in the kind of chess game between Beaumains and the lady, right? Um, and he wins this round. What has he accomplished in doing this? Why does he do this this way? Well, uh, Mike says to, um, to get her to drop the pretense that he sucks, right? Yeah, to get her to acknowledge his prowess. That's one thing, right? If she says, please spare his life, then she is acknowledging that he, this is not an accident, right? Uh, that he has, in fa- you know, it's, she's acknowledging him as Victor, right? And so he forces her to acknowledge him as Victor. But notice how he forces her, right? If you don't do it, if you don't say it, I'm going to kill him. And that has another edge to it. This knight is begging for mercy. What happens if Momains kills him while he's begging for mercy? Michelle, it is like calling her bluff. It is like that, right? Um, no true... Exactly, Mike. Then he's not noble, Veronica, exactly. He's dishonorable. It would shame him as a knight, even possibly be usable as an argument against his nobility, against his knighthood, if he were to murder this guy who's begging for mercy. So, um, Deborah calling... Uh, uh, so Deborah's wondering if he's just bluffing. I, I think he might be, Deborah, actually, but I'm not sure. Um... But Michelle, I think it, it is more um, he is calling her bluff, right? If she means it, if she means what she's been saying, that uh, she really believes him to be a baseborn churl, why should she even think that he would be sufficiently honorable to spare this guy's life, right? Um, why would... In a sense, why would she care if he dishonors himself by killing the guy who's begging for mercy, right? He puts, in a sense, his own honor into her hands here. So it's not just that, like, he's manipulating her, backing her into a corner and getting her to acknowledge his strength. He is doing that. But it's not just that. It's not just a show of strength on his on his part. He is, in a sense, putting himself into her hands as well, right? If she absolutely refuses, now... Um, Deborah, exactly as you're suggesting, either he has to admit that he was only bluffing and he's definitely not going to kill him, in which case he is going back on his word. He's just said, I will not spare this guy unless my damsel says so, right? Um, he, uh, so he either has to go back on his word or he has to kill the guy, right? So one way or the other, he has put his honor in her hands. So it's not just that he is getting her to acknowledge that he's one, right? But she is, he is getting her to, he is, 
getting her to support his honor, right? To build up his honor, in a sense. To defend his honor, almost, if you see what I mean by that. Um, And in a sense, I think, to betray the fact that she actually does want his honor and not his dishonor. That she doesn't really believe that he is dishonorable. That she doesn't really want shame to come to him. Um, You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the story about Odysseus. Remember when Odysseus was trying to get out of going to the Trojan War and he did, you know, he, they all swore the oath that they would support, you know, and everything. And so when, when Agamemnon and, and, uh, uh, and, uh, uh, what's his name? Menelaus, uh, come to Ithaca and like try to get Odysseus to come along with them to the war, right. And to recruit his, his Ithacans and, and, and join the, the Trojan War. He tries to get out of it in a cunning way because he's Odysseus, right? So he try he, he, he tries an insanity plea. So he pretends he's, crazy. And so he, he does this by going out and like plowing a stony field, right? Like I'm just plowing and nobody can talk to me and nobody can say anything. And it's, it's, uh, clearly I'm out of my wits and I'd be useless to you. Right. Um, and you remember how Agamemnon and Menelaus, uh, break through that, right? How they outwit Odysseus. They take Telemachus, they take the infant Telemachus and they set him down the baby in the furrow that Odysseus is plowing with his sharp plowshare, right? So that if he doesn't, you know, if he is as crazy and out of it as he's pretending to be, he's not going to notice and he's going to plow right through his own child and kill his own son, right? But of course, Odysseus swerves around his son and so they know he's just faking it, right? That seems to me parallel to what Beaumain's is so so in, in in this parallel the damsel is Odysseus right she is acting like she has no respect for him at all she is acting like she wants him to fail she is acting like she wishes he could, he would stop following her and that he would be driven away she is acting like she believes him to be a dishonorable churl he uh is trying to he has created a situation where she has really no choice but to act in a way that's true to what she's really thinking and not to the front that she's been maintaining. Um, that's anyway how I see Beaumain's uh, uh, move here. And I think it's a really good one. I think it's a really interesting one. Um, okay. Um, ah, let's go ahead and read the next one and then we'll, we'll, we'll finish after that. Um, He's defeated, he's killed the Black Knight, he defeats the Green Knight, he defeats the Lesser Red Knight, and now he has come to the last of the Chromatic Brethren, the greatest of all of them, the Blue Knight, uh, Sir Persant of Ind, which just means Sir Persant, not of India, but of Indigo, the color, right? Just in case you thought that Indigo only existed in rainbows, it exists in this knight's uh, color scheme. So, okay... And he says, I'm just going to I'm going to go. I don't care. I know he's got a great reputation, but I'm going to go fight uh, the Blue Knight. Fie, fie, said the damsel, that ever such a stinking kitchen canava should blow such a boast. Damsel, he sighed, ye are to blam so to rebuke me, for I had lever do five battiles than so to be rebuked. Let him come and then let him do his worst. Sir, she sighed. 
I marvile what thou art, and of what kin thou art come, for boldly thou spakest, and boldly thou hast done, that have I seen. Therefore I pray thee, salve thyself and thou my, for thine horse and thou have had great travail, and I dread that we dwell over long from the siege, for it is hence but seven mile, and all perilous passages we are past, south all only this passage, and here I dread me sore, lest ye shall catch some hurt. Therefore I wold ye were hence, that ye were not bruised nor hurt with this strong knicked. But I let you wit that this Sir Persant of Ind is nothing of meeked nor strength under, under the knicked that lieth at the siege about my laddie. She finally cracks, right? She finally cracks um, and admits that she's impressed, right? She drops the act suddenly. She's just been doing it, right? Stinking kitchen canava, she's saying in one uh, moment. And then when he shows that, you know, he's really going to do it. He's really going to charge off after the blue knight too. She cracks. I marvel what you are and of what kin you are come. Because, um, dang, you're, you've been really impressive this whole time, right? And then she starts begging, don't do it. She's been pushing him into one test after another, and he's passed them and passed them, and finally she's like, be careful, right? Uh, we're only seven miles away from the siege, and the knight who's there is even stronger than this guy. I'm afraid that even if you beat this guy, he's going to hurt you, and you're going to be unable to fight. So now, now she sees him as the last best hope for uh, 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 taking out the siege, right? For releasing her lady from the siege. Um, when she breaks, right, when she breaks character, she breaks it completely. And it's that more than anything else that this is not somebody who's changed her mind, right? This is not somebody who's just been won over. This is somebody who's dropping the act, right? Um, and who is almost admitting here that she's just been acting the whole time, um, in order to test. It's been a test, right? And he has passed the test and she is here giving him an A plus, Right. Um, uh, we should stop. It's getting late. Um, so we'll do that and then we'll look at, <laughs> look at the other tests that he faced. I love the scene with Sir Person's daughter. Uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll get to that next time. Okay. So we're almost, almost up to the siege. Um, we will get... Um, uh, it's actually just as well that we don't quite get to that. We'll include that next time uh, in the larger chapter of... Oh boy, the second half of this story is so much fun. Uh, we have Sir Gareth proving himself, uh, proving the might of his hands, right? Um, is he able to uh, uh, to hack it as a knight, right? Um, now he will have to prove himself in other ways. Is he going to be the true disciple of Sir Lancelot as we move forward? So that's going to be awesome. Now, before we go, I'm going to do my, I'm going to do my drawing. So let's see what we have here. Let me, uh, let me do some stuff here and make sure we're all set to do the drawing. So first I'm going to do the drawing uh, for people who have donated during class here today. Uh, so let me... We gotta move windows around here. Okay, wonderful. Excellent. Okay. Oh, very good. 
right. Gonna roll my die here. Okay. All right. And the winner is Lynn Schlesinger is the winner. Thank you, Lynn. Uh, thank you for your generosity um, in, uh, <clears throat> in so many ways. Wonderful. Thank you, Lynn. Uh, so Lynn, just send an email to donate at signumu.org. Uh, and we will, you can either, again, either <clears throat> pair of tickets to the regional moot of your choice or uh, the uh, book with the custom book plate. Uh, so congratulations. And uh, now I will do the drawing among everyone in attendance, both in GoToWebinar and in Twitch. So let me go over and see here on Twitch how many people are here so I can know which dice to roll. Okay. Very good. And oh, that one's easy. Okay, and the winner is Zachary Komen. Zachary Komen is the winner. Excellent. Congratulations, Zachary. So again, send an email to uh, donate at signumu.org, uh, and uh, we will uh, uh, we will set you up with your prize. Don't forget, uh, come to the uh, come to the webathon this Saturday, starting at noon Eastern time, going all the way through uh, midnight, possibly beyond. Uh, that we're we're going to have a schedule posted, so you can see the details of the schedule very soon. Um, but uh whole day is going to be awesome. So I hope you'll be able to join me for as much of it uh, as you can. Um, thanks very much, everybody. And I will see you Saturday, if not before. Uh, good night now.